0: This is Conor Lennon from UN News. Jesse Mosby is best known as one of the Torres Strait Eight, the activists from the islands north of the Australian mainland who complained to the UN Human Rights Council that the government was not doing enough to protect them from the effects of the climate crisis. In this interview with the UN's Julia Dean, recorded earlier this month, Mr Mosby described the devastating effects of the rising sea levels and extreme weather events in recent years and his fears for the future. He started by describing the deep connection that he and his community have to the islands, which have been home to his people for some 70,000 years. Well, first of all,
1: Masig, the traditional name of where I come from, uh, the English name is York. It's situated in the central part of the Torres Strait. And for those who don't know where the Torres Strait is, it's... It's between Papua New Guinea and the tip of Queensland. Now Masig, the island where I come from, it's in the shape of a teardrop. And there's something powerful about this island. It always, there's an aura around this island which uh, it draws people to this place. Now, it's more than a, an, an island for us. It's our home and the apparently the only place where what we have left. The beautiness about this island is it provided us with shelter and it protected us, protected this little race of uh, Torres Strait saltwater people for over thousands of years.
0: Can you explain a little bit more about what home means to you?
1: Masig is home in this, this way here. All of us here on Masig, myself, especially I'll talk about myself. I am connected through this land from the, the birds in the sky to the plants which surrounds us. I am the birds, I am the plant, as much as the plant is me, as much as the bird is me. I am a part of the insect, as much as the insect is a part of me. I am a part of all the mammals on this island, how the mammals are. A part of me. I am a part of all the marine life here, as the marine life is a part of me. It's more than home. We've got taught to live one with nature, to protect and to preserve how it has been protecting us and preserved us, meaning in preserving that it preserved our culture and our tradition for over 60,000
0: years. Is the the land, the culture, the sense of home reflected in your language, your speaking language? Oh, yes.
1: Our mother tongue is our documentation in all. We preserve our stories and our history through our songs and the dance, what we perform. Most of our songs is all ancient, traditional language. And for us to know the stories, we have to understand the language. And that's how our stories has been preserved. What happened in the past and in our songs, it It dates certain weather patterns on certain years and what happened, whether there was happiness or there was sadness, there was warfare or there was peace, there was monsoon or there was drought, there was love or there is fear. And it's all been preserved.
0: Why do you think that you see climate change as a human right to protect yourselves against climate change? Why do you see that as a human right?
1: It's because we're, we're human beings at the end of the day. We're human beings. We have the right to, to practice and carry on our tradition, traditional ways of living, our cultural way of living. We have the right to pass on what was passed on to us by our grandparents, our parents, our grandparents and our forefathers and our ancestors, we have the right to teach that and pass that ancient knowledge of the way of living to our next generation. That's why we find this is our human right to preserve what we have left, you know.
0: Who are the Torres Strait
1: Eight? The Torres Strait Eight consists of eight people from four different islands which took this this fight further to the UN.
0: And are you feeling supported by each other? Is that really important in, in the Torres Strait? Oh,
1: yeah. Yes, because we all have regardless we come from different islands and, and stuff like that, we all have that same driven passion and it's to try and protect what is belongs to us for our future. Otherwise, you know, they won't have a land to call home. They'll be refugees on their own country. We'll probably be refugees. I'll probably be old. Otherwise I'll probably be dead and gone. And my children will, you know, have to be relocated. Because that's what's that's that was said to our people by the scientists that in the near future the government will definitely remove us from our home that's why it took us as the tourist trade that we said nah you will use will move us to somewhere else we don't we're not from there we don't have nothing there what is here is ours we have our genealogy our lineage is, is is here our family is here our ancestral remains my grandmother and grandfather and all my grand aunties and uncles are buried here you know and it's not only here on Masi, but all of us. So we all have the same that same inner passion to take this fight. And we're we're very closely united in this fight. Yes.
0: Do you think the floods that are happening in Australia now and other enormously strong climate events will allow many people around the world to be able to relate more to what is happening to you? and has been happening Torres Strait for quite a while now
1: well to be honest um within the Torres Strait and other Pacific islands around the world or in the Pacific has been battling this global warming crisis has been looking at our homes being washed away now we've fought and cried for before these massive floods now these massive floods which comes and these big giant bushfires down like you know in Australia these are all confirmation of what we're doing is what we're fighting for, for like it's, it's it's not it's not a It's confirmation in other forms to state that, yes, we are fighting something which is very true. And it comes in these other forms of drought, bushfires,
0: and now floods. To explain a bit further to those listening, I can see behind you a beautiful blue water and beautiful sky. And it seems not to be very windy today. Could you tell a personal story about the change of the environment that you've seen over the years due to the climate?
1: well... I know that you can see behind me. About 30 to 50 meters out, that used to be the land. The, the beach used to be there. So where I'm situated now, I'm sitting straight at the shoreline. The beach used to be way out there. All along the coast in the southeasterly side had villages. You could hear laughter of children while the mothers we've met. The men walks out on the reef tend to food. It was a laid back life, but a happy life and a safe life. Everybody was moving like, you know, in one. As time passed 10 years ago, where these little birds are, that's where the beach was. Five meters in from there, we started to lose our loved ones. Now people might think, why do we bury our loved ones near the shoreline? No, they were, bu- they were buried inland. Within 10 years, we had five meters taken away. Now within three years, come up, to where i'm sitting now the saddest thing here on Masig at this present time is it affects us mentally physically and spiritually spiritually is saying in spiritually that we are connected to these loved ones which got washed away physically we're trying to do what we can by using driftwood now this whole island we don't have no seawalls so we're using driftwood in what material gets washed up to the beach Mentally, it torments us, especially when you have been walking and carrying your ancestor's remain where you know that this lady, you're her fifth generation, that she gave birth to your great-great-great-grandfather and you're holding her in your arms. It affects you mentally. Spiritually, it shatters you. Physically, it drains you. The bird life on this island, there's a lot of seabird life on this island. The majority of the birds does not nest here anymore, like the black and white pelican, the black and white booby bird, and other different variety of reef herring. They don't, they don't nest here anymore. And these are signs where we know that something is, you know, definitely it's not right. It wasn't like that. You have to go further. Straight behind me, there's big lagoons. And when it's really low tide, you can go and swim in these lagoons. Some of the lagoons is probably, can be two, two to three meters deep with the abundance of life of seafood Fish galore, and you'll have ladies standing around these lagoons at low tide and just fishing to these lagoons while their child is swimming in a, a shallower lagoon, learning to, to swim by their big brothers and sisters. While the mother catch fish, and the grandmothers are here babysitting the baby ones and prepping and getting the house ready, boiling the copper boilers, you know, to butt their grandchildren. Now, this was life. Now, it's a desert out there. You don't have those lagoons anymore. The lagoons where used to be three meters deep is now probably just above your knees. You think you'll find life in there? It's just full of sand. You don't see the turtle who swims lazy across the edges of the reef. And if you do, it's a blessing. It's harder because life now, you have to go further. The only income for us here on Masig is, and the Torres Strait is, the major income is crayfish. Now people go out, all the men has to go further in what they used to do before. Families have to pay more on fuels. Going further, it just extends the worry for the people in the village that their husband, their sons have to go further, further out. There's a lot of dangerous things lurking under the ocean, but the scary thing is, if the weather changes and you're out, then by all means, how are you going to come home? And if you do come home, thank God.
0: Just on that, is there anything you can say in language or a song that reflects how you feel right now, and could you translate it? Is there anything that you would like to share?
1: Yeah, I'll sing this song here. It sings about Masig, spells it. You spell M-A-S-I-G. This song is composed by my grand-uncle. The song always inspires, uh, it always touches our heart. <laughs> Tak lagi ya garu orang si pa melayi di di ipu as the north wind blows gently towards our home, I am ready to travel and as i'm out going into the boat and traveling out into the open water the water is not so rough but it's not so calm as well as a little spike when you can see from the surface as i know that i'm going out to work i look back to my home where I know my wife and my children and my family are sitting and praying for me. How I miss them on my home, Masig, M-A-S-I-G-I-S-L-A-N-D.
0: Moving on, but it's related. There's a big international conference on oceans this year. If you had the chance to speak at the Oceans Conference, being oceans people, what would you evidence would you give and what would you say to them?
1: I, oh, we have a lot of evidence in the ocean, under the ocean bed, even on the reef. And if I'm there and if, you know, if I have the opportunity to stand and speak, I would speak definitely from the heart that our food source and our way of living and the food source for every other sea creatures under there is suffering. That shark won't survive from this particular fish if that fish is not there. That particular fish won't survive if that particular algae is not on that coral. And due to the algae is not there, it's because the coral has been bleached white, it's dead. There's no life on that coral for that particular fish to survive of, and if that fish won't survive, then the bigger fish who eats that little fish, which will be the trout, won't be there, then you won't find the trout. These fish will be vanishing from the depths of the sea it all it's it's a big cycle it's really scary too when you you know for my children, they think it's normal now to see white bleached coral when I tell them, I said it looks very beautiful, but look deeper into the beautiness of just the white in the in the middle of the darkest crystal blue water. What can you see other than that white, beautiful coral? They look at me, they spot up, look at me, and they say, nothing. I said, there's no life. Regardless, it looks beautiful. There's no life under there. I took them to an area where there's life, and I said, have a look at that coral. What can you see within that coral? They said, I could see purple, I could see... Fluoro pink, fluoro purple. I could see blue. Look deeper into that life coral. What do you see? I can see Nemo. I can see a clownfish. I can see a lionfish. I can see little algae with this little baby fish eating from it. I said, that is life. And that is how life under the sea is supposed to be.
0: As ocean protectors, what would your message be to all the international delegates at this big ocean conference.
1: Top stop doing what you're doing for fame, for money, and realize that global warming is really alive and it's already starting to kill. Top listen because you you guys will learn a lot from us if you have the time to stop, sit and listen to us. We know how to fix that reef because it is our reef. We are connected to it. We are connected to the fish under there. We don't go with a big giant boat and catch 5,000 tons a year or so forth. We only go and catch what is enough for us. And the main thing is that we will take you, we will show you how we can see the difference. We've monitored these reefs for thousands of years and we have a lot of things where people don't know, a lot of knowledge to share. Just sit and listen to us and what we have to say and what we know how to fix or can fix.